Stuart Lockett grew up in New Iberia, Louisiana, just south of Lafayette. During his senior year of high school, he was figuring out where to go to college. He knew he wanted to study bioengineering. There was only about three or four institutions in the state of Louisiana that offered that major. One was Louisiana State University, or LSU, in Baton Rouge. But Lockett had some reservations. We hadn't seen many of our predecessors um, who graduated before us attend LSU. His high school guidance counselor hadn't even brought it up as an option. Not many of his peers were considering the school. It was only about seven of us from a graduating class of nearly 400. Lockett is African-American, and the high school he went to in New Iberia is about 50 percent African-American. In Louisiana, about 44 percent of all high school graduates each year are black. But at LSU, the state's flagship university, the portion of black students is much lower. But until recently, less than 10 percent of LSU's student body has been black. That's Casey Parks. She's an education reporter, and she's written about this gap at Louisiana's flagship state university for the Heckinger Report. It includes data compiled by her colleague Meredith Kolodner. Meredith says flagships are important institutions in every state. They're considered the best public universities in the state. They usually have more funding. They have more resources. They have alumni networks. Their graduation rates are higher, and they end up being much more selective than the other public universities and even some of the private universities in the state. Meredith says this gap between the number of black students graduating from high school in each state and the number enrolling at their state's flagship university is not just a Louisiana problem. And it's prevalent among enrollment of Latino students at flagships as well. There's a very significant racial gap for the majority of states, but for both African-Americans and Latinos who would like to go to the public flagship universities. From APM Reports, this is Educate, a podcast in collaboration with The Heckinger Report. I'm Stephen Smith. On this episode of the podcast, we're going to hear more about Stuart Lockett's experience at LSU. And we'll talk with Meredith Kolodner and Casey Parks about why universities aren't enrolling more of their own state's students of color. We'll also hear from Jose Aviles. He's the relatively new vice president for enrollment at LSU. And he's changing a lot about how the university sees itself and how it recruits students from the state. You know, the status quo is no longer sustainable. It's time to innovate. Each year for the last three years, Meredith Kolodner has been measuring the gap between the number of black and Latino students graduating from state high schools across the U.S. and the number of those students enrolling as freshmen at their state's flagship university. The thing about public universities, especially flagships, is that their mission, their stated mission, is to be an accessible and affordable, high-quality education for their state residents. So... You would think that that means all the state residents. And have they become more or less diverse over time? There has been a slight uptick in the overall number of black students, for instance, who are going to flagships. But that overall number really masks certain schools where the percentages of black students have dropped. Um, In particular, places like Alabama, Mississippi, Georgia, Uh, Missouri and Florida had big drops. For Latinos, it's a little bit of a different situation. The number of Latinos has increased at the flagships for the most part, but that's reflective of a large increase in the Latino populations in most states. What explains the fact that flagships are becoming less diverse? What are they doing wrong? There's a whole host of factors. Um, Some of it has to do with what the individual admissions um, offices are doing. 
But there's also an overall more structural issue, which is that the sort of drive for high SAT scores and ACT scores, which then leads to these high ratings, that is, you're seen as a top school, which then makes the alumni happy and either your state regents board or your state legislature happy. They want to see those high ratings. You get rewarded with money. But also, because there have been huge funding cuts from the state to the public university systems, they are competing for tuition dollars. So if they can attract out-of-state students who are going to pay the full tuition that is, they, the in-state cost is different than the out-of-state cost. That helps to plug a budgetary hole for them. So you saw a lot of universities trying to compete for students who are outside of the state, regardless of race, often going for higher-income students who would pay the full tuition. Um, actually, in California, Berkeley, University of Berkeley, got so high, it was 25% of the students were from out-of-state that the state legislature actually put a cap on how many out-of-state students, the public universities there could enroll. Casey, you spent time at Louisiana State University, LSU, which has a student body that does not represent the demography of the state of Louisiana. Am I right that historically um, African-Americans in Louisiana tended to go to Southern University, which is just 10 miles across town in Baton Rouge? It's a historically black university. Yes, both Southern and Grambling enroll more black students than LSU does. I don't know as much about Southern, but Grambling, for instance, has 5,000 black students, which is more than LSU has, and LSU is six times larger than Grambling. Currently about 3,000 black students attend LSU out of a total student body of about 30,000. And you wrote that last year LSU launched a new recruitment plan intended to enroll more black and Latino students. What can you tell us about that plan and, and how it's working? Well, for many years, LSU's recruiting team, did they just didn't go to some parishes to recruit. So I looked at, they actually have their recruiting, like places they've recruited, they actually list this online. And you can look at the parishes that they skipped, and almost all of those are predominantly black parishes. And I think it was two years ago, they hired a man named Jose Aviles. And he, one of the things that he first things that he implemented is he said, we're going to recruit in every single parish. It doesn't matter how rural it is, how low performing the overall district is. We're going to go to every single parish and see if there's even just one kid who would succeed at LSU. There's no question that the disparity was, was one of the greatest that I had seen of the places I have worked, um, and I felt compelled to, to address it. That's Jose Aviles. He's the vice president of enrollment at LSU. He got to the university in 2017. It's one of eight universities where he's worked in admissions, enrollment, and retention during the last two decades. Before coming to LSU, he had most recently worked at the University at Buffalo, the largest of the State University of New York schools. Here in Louisiana, there's no question. You know, you look at the statistics of the state, and you see the students who are graduating from high school and, and participating in higher education. We have one of the lowest participation rates in the country across the board. Um, we also have, you know, a state that really is challenged as it relates to poverty. And, um, and I think education is part of that answer. Aviles wanted to change the way the school saw itself and the way it recruited high school seniors in the state. College admissions on the surface of, of what it is, 
has always been built on this notion that selectivity is important. And so therefore, the exclusion of students from participating on our campuses is a mark of quality. You know, as a land-grant institution, you know, I, I've come on campus and said that it's more important for us to really stand on the core principle of what we've been founded on. You know, as a land grant, we should be accessible. We should be proud to include students and increase participation on our campus of students who deserve the opportunity. And that it, it really isn't about selectivity or excluding subsets of students because that's a mark of quality. He embraced holistic admissions. That means looking at a student's entire experience in high school and including character measurements like perseverance and initiative rather than just cognitive ones like test scores and GPA. You know, we were making decisions um, very purely on um, looking at just an ACT and a high school grade point average previous to my arrival here. And we were just making really sharp decisions based on those two metrics. Everything in the literature having to do with selection or the research having to do with college admissions and selection tells us that there's just not enough information to inform the selection process in college admissions using those two metrics. Really only 20 to 25 percent of all the variance in, in, in predicting success can, can really be accounted for using a board score and a high school grade point average, which means that 70 to 75 percent is really unexplained. So that's what the research tells us. So Aviles and admissions counselors from LSU started looking for other predictors of success. They looked at whether a student's grades had increased throughout high school. They looked at the most challenging coursework an applicant's high school was able to offer and whether or not the applicant took any of those courses. They assessed a student's willingness to accept help and invest time in studying. So you know, we wanted to make sure that we were admitting students where it made sense. Um, not just saying because you have a 3.0 and a 22 grade uh, ACT, that's good enough. He also needed to change the way LSU recruits high school seniors in the state. Not only did it decide to recruit in every parish, but LSU tripled the length of time each fall that its representatives went out across the state to talk with prospective students. You know, we have a significant proportion of our students that still in the state will be the first in their family to attend um, college. So what that means for us practically is that it's just not good enough to send a brochure or to go to a high school and just do a 20-minute presentation. That, in fact... We have to really be present in these communities. We made a commitment to recruit every single parish across the state to be incredibly visible with our recruiters in these parishes, to set up shop over the weekend and do college admission workshops and help students um, engage productively and successfully in the college application process for LSU, and to kind of tear down the veil between um, you know, where they are and where the college admission decision is made, right, to kind of take away and demystify the process and and help them really help students and communities, students, families, and communities um, see a picture of success that includes them in it. It's been only two years since Aviles made the changes in LSU's recruiting practices, but the makeup of the student body has already changed, and this year's freshman class is much larger, too. Back in 2017, the incoming class had fewer than 5,000 students. This year, it's more than 6,000. It is 
without question, the largest net gain of students in entering freshman classes that I've overseen in any of my leadership positions anywhere else. Here, I think the missing element to what was going on was certainly the diversity of the student coming in. And, and when you look at from 2017 to 2019, in these two years, we have about a 115% increase in historically underrepresented students um, coming in as freshmen. The African-American students coming in this year, we have el like 1,150 African-American students. In 2017, we had only 520. That's a 120% increase in African-American students entering LSU. Hispanic students, I mean, just as remarkable, we had um, 296 Hispanic students in 2017 entering in that freshman class, and today we have 607. That's a 105% increase. Just dramatic, dramatic increases in these subpopulations of these incredibly talented students who have the promise and potential to be successful and have earned the right to participate in their state flagship institution. Casey, in your reporting about LSU, you tell the story of Stuart Lockett, the first black student body president there in like three decades, and only the third in the university's history. What did Stuart Lockett tell you about why he chose to go to LSU? Stuart knew he wanted to study bioengineering, and there are only actually three schools in all of Louisiana that had that major. One of them is even wider than LSU is, actually. It, it's Louisiana Tech and it's in the north corner of the state. And then the other is Tulane, which is also extremely white, and then you had LSU. And he had a little bit of a family connection to it. His mom tried to attend LSU in the 1970s, and she went for a year and decided it really wasn't for her. She wound up transferring to Southern, which is the historically black college on the northern end of Baton Rouge. But his brother, his older brother, attended LSU and really liked it. So Stuart felt like it's probably changed since my mom went there in the 70s. And so he went to visit, and he just really loved the campus. He thought everyone was really friendly. I was like, there is some type of community here that I, I would feel more at home in the Baton Rouge location. Um, something about Baton Rouge, something about it being the flagship. I was like, there's something special about this place. As a freshman, his friends kept pushing him to join student government, and he did. By his senior year at LSU, Lockett became student body president. There weren't many other people in positions of power who looked like him, so he started taking on the work of bringing those students into his administration. Being African-American, um, not being involved in Greek life, not doing any of those things um, really, really kind of set me apart. So yeah, I did feel like I was tasked to do a lot of things and to advocate for a lot of people who didn't get their voice heard. Um, so I did feel tasked specifically to focus on um, diversity and to focus on like what that means and how do we articulate that? How do we tell LSU's story when it comes to diversity? Lockett brought black fraternities and sororities into school issues and events that had traditionally been the domain of predominantly white Greek organizations. And he created a student government that was 50% people of color, more diverse than any student government at the school previously. It has to be a cultural change. A change. People just have to continue to learn. People have to embrace um, 
these these people of color in power. I mean, currently the student body vice president, she's now a black woman. You know, we haven't really seen that before, um, you know, and, and who knows what's next? Who knows what what the leadership in the student body will look like? And I think those stories continuously help people kind of kind of grow that atmosphere. And I think it's I think it's happening. I think um, I think it's happening at a much faster rate than it was. Lockett graduated in May, and today he's in medical school at LSU's campus in Shreveport in northwest Louisiana. He says his thoughts about whether or not the state's flagship is doing a good job creating a positive climate for black students like himself has changed over the years. I think four years ago, my answer would be different. I think now um, I would say yes, we have they have significantly increased the amount of programming for black males on campus. We actually have an organization called Black Male Leadership Initiative that focuses solely on recruiting and retaining black men in the university. Um, and, and that program has been extremely successful. There's also programming out of the Office of Diversity and Student Government um, that creates spaces on campus for those students to kind of socialize and interact and mingle. So I think now we're at a very good place. I would say some years ago in the very recent past, not so, not so good. Casey, you cited a campus climate survey from LSU where black and Latino students uh, reported high rates of discrimination and so even if schools can recruit more diverse students, what do they need to do to keep them and graduate them? LSU actually has the highest graduation rate for black students in Louisiana. About half the black students who enroll at LSU graduate. Um, that, I think, is compared to 67% of the white students graduate from LSU. So there is a gap, but there are a lot of reasons that Black and low-income students don't wind up graduating college. Some of them, some of the reasons are financial issues. I've talked to a kid recently who went to LSU, had an $8,000 gap his sophomore year, and no one in his family could help him come up with that $8,000. So he wound up joining the military, then got deployed, so he had to, um, he had to take uh, a year off of LSU. Other reasons are if you go to a school and most people at that school are not like you, it can be an extremely isolating experience. I'm doing another story now about a young woman who went to a little liberal arts school that was mostly white and really none of the people in her dormitory understood her. They didn't listen to the same music, they didn't eat the same foods, they didn't have the same cultural touchstones. So she wound up staying in her room a lot and if you don't have those social connections, it makes it really hard to persist in college when you get a bad grade on a paper. Or, you know, when I was in college, we would have big study groups. And if you don't have anyone to do a study group with, you may perform worse on a test. Um, there's a ton of, ton of things. Yeah, and in terms of the highest graduation rates, I just wanted to mention, Casey had said that LSU has the highest for black students. That is true across the board for the flagships. Um, they have a higher graduation rate for black students than pretty much any other public university or college in their state. And that's part of the reason it's so important if you want to change the gap between black and white college graduation rates or who has a bachelor's degree and therefore the income inequities. 
that black students have ac- access to the flagship universities. Are there any state flagship universities that actually do a great job of representing the state's diverse population in their own student population? I wish I could answer that uh, with a yes. Um, I will say that the there are states where the flagship does represent the Latino population more or close to equally, but those tend to be in states where there's a pretty low percentage of Latino students, um, places like Oklahoma, North Dakota. So (laughs) I'll just say there's no flagship that's doing a terrific job of um, representing its state population in states where there's a significant percentage of black and or Latino students. You know, everywhere I've ever worked um, for the le- these 20 years, everyone says diversity is important. That's Jose Aviles again. But when you look at what intentionally is, is really happening, the execution of, of actual strategies and recruitment, I find that that's where it falls apart. That diversity is something that is just nice to say, but it's really... It's really hard to achieve, number one. And number two, it may also require us to think about our work in different ways. Aviles says it's also a financial imperative to increase the number of black and Latino students at LSU. He says without those students, these universities won't survive. Because, you know, the populations that are growing and rapidly growing are you know, subpopulations that haven't historically participated at high rates or come with a significant amount of need that you're going to have to have in place, support that you're going to have to have in place in order for them to be successful. That's just the demographics that are projected. That's nothing new. You know, LSU is not unique in that case. That's just the national context of of what we're dealing with in enrollment. And so, you, you know, the status quo is no longer sustainable. It's time to innovate. That's it for this episode. Tell us what you think. We're on Twitter and Facebook at Educate Podcast, or you can send us a note to contact at apmreports.org. And you can find the stories by Casey Parks and Meredith Kalodner that were discussed in this episode at heckingerreport.org. Alex Baumhart and Chris Julin produced the podcast. This episode was mixed by Michael DeMarc. We partner with The Heckinger Report, a nonprofit independent news organization focused on inequality and innovation in education. Support for APM Reports comes from Lumina Foundation and the Spencer Foundation. I'm Stephen Smith. Thanks for listening. This is APM. <laughs>